0: Alright, I'm going to say provide in a language, and you're going to try to guess what language that is. I think the funniest part is going to be me trying to pronounce these words. Okay, we'll start easy. Provide. Yeah, okay, we're off to a good start. Okay, I apologize ahead of time. For anybody here who might speak this language or anybody who ever watches this in the future, I am apologizing for butchering your heritage. Give. Danish. I, I probably said it completely wrong, but that's how it's spelled here in front of me. Okay. Fornir. Yes, it is French. Wow, Trina. Who knew you were so multilingual? <laughs> <laughs> I wish you guys could hear everything they talked about during messages. It would make everything more inter- entertaining. Fornire. For Italian? Yeah, it's Italian. Who said that? Carla, you and Trina should write a diaglot or something, translate. You guys are on top of it here. Let me see, oh, I'm gonna be disappointed if some of you in here don't get this one. Proporcionar, okay, good. Yeah, where's Amber? I was gonna be disappointed. Did you know that? You it How do you say it? Okay, keep your secrets. Fine, don't tell anybody else. (laughs) Hmm, Erex. That might be close in Greek, I don't know. I look it up for you. (laughs) Erex. It's close, it's Mongolian. (laughs) That was close. Uh, I'm not even going to try Vietnamese. Oh, I'll, I'll give it a shot here, but it's Vietnamese. Chung cap. <laughs> How would you say provide in pig Latin? I don't know pig Latin very well. Man, I wish everybody had a microphone right now. This would be funny. <laughs> Okay, let me see here. Hmm. It's intimidating. Hua <laughs> karato. Hua karato. Mm-mm. It's, it's Maori. <laughs> is, it un, is it unfair if you haven't even heard of the language? provide It's Latin actually. Pretty <laughs> ancient language straight from straight connected to English, which is pretty nice. I'm going to go ahead and and spoil it for you. If you don't want to hear spoilers, you can cover your ears now. We're talking about Yahweh provides today. Okay? <laughs> Yahweh Jireh, that's what it means. And we're continuing our series The Names of God. And um, this message is going to be a little bit different. So we're just going to hop straight into it. And we're going to have a little surprise at the end. Okay. So go ahead and turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. We've probably heard stories of how God has provided for others. And we may have had that experience ourselves of God has provided for us. And so I think experientially, we know that God provides. And this name, Yahweh Jireh, means God provides, but kind of. And we'll get to that in a second a little bit more. I think back to our Bible impacts this summer and the testimonies we heard then. And I think those were proof that God provides. So if you missed those, look for them next summer. I think we'll probably end up doing them again. It was a great time. So in this section of scripture, in Genesis chapter 22, uh, you may be familiar with the story, and you may have found this story difficult, um, but I don't want you to approach this with all your preconceived ideas. I just want you to kind of come with a fresh perspective and just read the story as it is this morning. And if you aren't familiar with the story, perfect. It will make that a lot easier. So two people in the story that we need to understand are Abraham and Isaac. Now, Abraham's story uh, starts back in Genesis chapter 11. We're just going to read Genesis 11 through 22 to get the full count. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, read 10 chapters. Okay, so in Genesis chapter 11, at the end, Abraham's name is mentioned. But really in Genesis chapter 12 is where Abraham's story takes off. He's often referred to as the father of our faith. Because God was the one who called him out of his homeland and gave him a promise. And said, I'm going to build a nation out of you. I'm going to bless the whole earth through you. I'm going to create from you a lineage of my people, a people to be my possession, a nation of believers who know me as Yahweh, the only true God. So these are the promises that God made to Abraham. And a part of this promise was that Abraham was going to have a son who's going to be the first step in building this nation. But the problem was that Abraham and his wife Sarah were very old, well, well past the age of childbearing years. And so... Uh, it's, it was a step of faith, to say the least. So Abraham decides to trust in God, and he packs up his whole family and moves to a, a whole new land he's never been to before. And God says, you just start walking this direction, I'll tell you when you get there. And you're going to have this son well past the age of childbearing. And so after some really awesome faith in God proving himself and a lot of big missteps on Abraham and Sarah's part, They eventually have this son of promise, and they name him Isaac. And this is how we get to this part in Genesis chapter 22. Let's go ahead and start reading in verse 1. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham and Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And he said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. So God wants to see how much faith Abraham has in him. So he asks Abraham to offer his son as a sacrifice. Now at first, this seems a little strange, right? And it may boggle your mind. But take take it from Abraham's perspective. So God has gotten him this far, Right? He had a kid way past when he should have had a kid. He's performed a lot of other miracles in his life. And Isaac is standing proof that God is faithful to his promises. And he said, through Isaac, you are going to have children. A nation is going to come through this son. And so Abraham says, God said that this boy is going to have kids and create a new people. And so if he's asking me to do this, he's going to take care of it somehow. Right. So, uh, Abraham agrees to this. And Abraham wakes up early in the morning, and he starts getting ready. So he chops some wood, and he packs up the donkeys, and he uh, gets his uh, servants together, and he says, what's going on this journey? Which is three days, by the way. It's not like, just like... Just walk over the hill and go over there. It's, it's a long journey. And just kind of an interesting fact here. Uh, this chapter has a lot of firsts in it in the Bible. So this is the first time the name Yahweh Jirah is going to be used, as we'll see here in a little bit. This is also the first time the word love is used in Scripture. When he says, your only son whom you love, Isaac. It's the first time love has ever shown up. And we'll see another first here in a minute. So he wakes up early, he starts shopping what he's preparing for the journey, he packs up the donkey, he takes two young men to help him out, and they start walking, and that's a three-day journey. And they reach the base of the mountain that God specified. And Abraham tells his helpers, You guys just stay here, and me and Isaac are gonna go over there and worship. And we're both going to come back to you here. Now that's an interesting thing. Because Isaac is supposed to be sacrificed. And I think it shows us. Two things. One, Abraham is intending on bringing Isaac back with him, even though he seems prepared to go and sacrifice him. The second thing is this is the first time that worship is mentioned in Scripture as well, which is just kind of interesting. So as they're walking up this mountain, they're carrying the wood, and you know I'm sure it's labored. Abraham's over a hundred years old at this point, right? Not exactly sure how young or how old Isaac is. He's somewhere between the age of 7 and 30. <laughs> That's kind of what we can deduce. Although the same word for young men, for the helpers who are helping, is the same word used for Isaac. So he, my guess is probably a teenager, maybe early 20s, something like that. But he could be younger. But no, no older than 30. So they're walking up this mountain. And Isaac asks a good question. Look at verse 7. <laughs> Isaac spoke To Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And Abraham said, Here I am, my son. he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? That's a good question. Abraham said, Yahweh Jireh. God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked together. Now imagine being Abraham that situation. The emotional strain that question would have caused. Right? Hey dad, where's the sacrifice? Whoa. Imagine the amount of resolve it would have taken to continue walking up that hill. That mountain. Fully prepared to sacrifice your son. And I think this shows us the trust that Abraham had. Trust that God was going to provide a way through. He said, God's going to make a way through. He's going to provide a lamb. And this is also the first mention of the name Yahweh Jireh in Scripture. In the context of perhaps the most difficult situation any of us could imagine, certainly probably the most difficult situation Abraham has ever been in his life, he uses the name God Will Provide. God Will Provide comes out of Abraham's mouth.
1: I don't know about you.
0: I have been in less intense situations and thought that God was not faithful to handle what I was going through. You know, that's weakness on my part. No no part of that blame is to go to God. But I think this really starts to make the story real. When we put ourselves in Abraham's shoes, are we walking up that mountain with our kid willing to sacrifice him and say, oh yeah, God's going to make a way out of this? I don't know. So they keep on walking. I'm sure very heavy steps one after another up this mountain. And they reach the place and Abraham built an altar, and I assume Isaac helped him. Once again, Abraham's not a spring chicken. He gotta move rocks. So he's like, Isaac, help me build this altar. They get the wood ready. And then Abraham binds up Isaac and he puts him on the wood. And so Abraham raises a knife above his head. And he's preparing to kill his son. And at this point, I think the situation shifts. So up to this point, Abraham has showed faithfulness, right? He's split the wood. He's taken the long journey. He's walked to the mountain. He's built an altar, right? He is preparing for this moment. And all these steps of faith are evidence like, Abraham trusts God, but they're all really easy to come back from, right? Sure, yeah, maybe you spent a few extra days, and you wasted some time, and you wasted some of your firewood, and you took a long journey. But you know, like, those aren't real sacrifices. Nothing that you couldn't come back from. Abraham was a wealthy guy, you know. But this, this step right here, <laughs> this one is permanent. You know, Abraham's never seen anybody be resurrected before. No one's ever come back from the dead. At least, not that we have record of. So up to this point, he could have walked back without any consequence, really. But holding the knife above his son, that's when the situation gets real. So as I'm sure Abraham is shaking and labored in his breathing, ready to kill a son holding the knife, something stops him. Look at verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham! And I'm sure, I'm sure Abraham was like, "Here, here I am. I'm here. I'm listening. And he said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing for him for now i know that you fear god since you have not withheld your son your only son from me and i just imagine abraham's body whew, you know relaxing just like everything when he just whew, when he realizes that that god has intervened here and i'm sure isaac was relieved as well <laughs> i'm sure he felt really good about this part let's keep reading then abraham verse 13 then abraham raised his eyes and he looked so he looks up from the altar and behold There was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Now Abraham called the name of that place Yahweh-Jirah. The Lord will provide. And it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. Where God is, it will be taken care of. So in the end, God does provide the sacrifice. Just like Abraham trusted he would. And after this experience, Abraham names this place Yahweh Jireh after what happened there. Now I want to spend some actual time looking into the word Jireh. Because just to say God provides doesn't actually do this name full justice. You see, when we think God provides, we probably think that it means God's providing for the immediate physical need. In the moment... When they arise, just as we kind of saw here, right? Abraham needed a sacrifice, God provided a sacrifice. But the actual meaning of Jirah is a lot deeper than that. You see, Jirah means to see. Yes, Jirah is actually the Hebrew word Ra'ah, which means to see. As with many Hebrew words, Ra'ah has a lot of many. Definitions depending on the context. For example, up to this point in Genesis, so we're just talking the first twenty-two chapters of Genesis. This same word has been translated "saw." Uh, It comes in the creation story a lot in Genesis one. God saw the light and it was good. Right? That's the same word. Appeared. God said, uh, "Let the dry dry land appear," and there it was. It's the same word. God looked. Things became visible. Things will be seen in the future tense. I will show, remained, encountered, provided. And you'll notice that the word provided kind of sticks out a little bit from the rest of the translations here. It's kind of an oddball. In verse 14 of Genesis chapter 22, which we just read, the NASB translates this word as provided. But look at verse 13 here. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked. That is the exact same word. So how did the word to see become to provide? Interesting question. First, think about how God sees. God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and eternal. This obviously gives him a different perspective than we have, right? God sees the world and sees the future. We call it foreseeing things, but he just calls it seeing things, right? Maybe it'd be better to say, instead of Yahweh Jireh, the God who provides, it's actually a little more accurate to say it's the God who makes provision. It's the God who sees into the future and prepares things now for when that happens. God can see ahead in our lives. He sees the troubles we will encounter, the problems we will face, the things we will need, both physical and spiritual. And he, being Yahweh Jireh, makes a way for those needs to be met. And this means that even before you were born... God was already making a way and providing for you. He was making provision for you. Let that sink in. Just let that sink in. I hate going to the grocery store for a week to think about provisions for what I'm going to eat. It's annoying. It's a lot of work to make provision. But before you were born, God was providing for you. Now let's take this back to the story of Abraham and Isaac. Do you think God was surprised at the last second, scrambling to find a way to make a ram appear, when Abraham was really about to go through with it, right? He's like, oh man, this guy's about to do it. I've got to figure something out right now. No, of course not. God saw the need beforehand. And he took care of it. And then he saw Abraham through that situation. The God who provides is also the God who makes provision. He's also the God who sees us through it. It is much more an involved an process than God just answering our prayers whenever we happen to pray for something. Right? He's like, oh, I guess I'll take care of that now, now that they asked. No, Yahweh, Jireh, He knows you. He knows what you feel, what you think. He anticipates your needs. And he does the groundwork years ahead of time in some cases. To take care of what you need, and the best way I can explain this, the best proof and evidence I have of this, is in the man of Jesus. So, take into consideration this verse from First Peter, chapter one, verses twenty through twenty-one. For he, meaning Jesus, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. So that your faith and hope are in God. And there are many other verses that talk about how God, before you even put this whole world together, made a plan for us to be saved through Jesus. Isn't that incredible? And what's even more extraordinary than that is that God has put clues into his history, into this book to prove that he's been working on this for a long time. Because he could have maybe just dropped Jesus into the first century and said, okay, this guy's here to do these kinds of things. But he said, no, this is my plan, and it has always been my plan. And he has laid clues for us for thousands and thousands of years before Jesus came here to prove to us that this is what he was doing. Look back to the story of Abraham and Isaac. God told them to travel to Mount Moriah, where he asked Abraham to sacrifice his one and only son as proof of love and trust in God. Guess where Moriah is? In Jesus' day, the region of Moriah was known as Jerusalem. And Jesus, God's one and only son who he loved, walked up the mountain to die as proof of God's love to us and as a way to redeem us as a sacrifice. While we were still sinners, yahweh Jireh showed us his love by this, that he sent us his son, his Messiah, to die. In the end, God did provide the lamb just like Abraham said he would. And it was his son. God saw our need. He made provision for us. He saw it through. And yahweh Jireh, because of him, we can stand here today and say that we have a hope and a future. In fact, we can say he's provided everything for us because we wouldn't be here in the first place <laughs> if it wasn't for him. So here's the part of summer where I'd usually put three bullet points up on the screen for you to, for to have application for you to take home. But there's only one thing I want you to know and truly believe this week. God provides. That's it. God provides. And when we stop to think about all the ways God has blessed us and provided for us and is with us through the good and bad, it's almost overwhelming. How many reasons do we have to be thankful this morning? How many ways has God provided for us? What amazing things has he done? What small details has he planned for well, you guys have already thought about some of those things. Over the last couple of weeks, we asked you guys to share what you were thankful for over the last year. And Blessings put together a video for us. And we're going to watch that. But before we watch that, or while we're watching it, we're going to be collecting our uh, giving for Sacrifice Sunday. So if you guys are uh, helping, you can come up here and grab some baskets. So uh, Tanner, Joe, John, and... Judd, are you going to help out too? That'd be great. You guys can go ahead and come here and grab some baskets. They're going to be walking and passing these baskets down the aisles. And Sacrifice Sunday is about giving above and beyond what we normally do. It is an act of worship, giving back to God who has given us everything. As we learned this morning, God has made a tremendous sacrifice and provided for us. And this is just our gratitude and love and appreciation back. So let's watch this video. I'm just really thankful for uh, my friends and family here at North Kent. I'm so thankful for my church and my church family for my church family. Growing my church family. For the people, for the family atmosphere. that uh, time here. Uh, welcoming everyone here at North Kent. And I'm also thankful for all the member involvement and how everyone plays a role in making this church work. The welcoming uh, look to all of our spaces and how we've made them more accessible to people in our communities. For the welcoming community that North Kent has. Um, well for all the support that the church gives me in everything I do a community of people who um, think the same way that I do. What I'm thankful for is the church, and that might sound cliche because, of course, we're in the church right now, but it's been almost 10 years since we've had a church home. What I like about this church is um, our last church took me a while to get used to, and this one I got used to right away. Send here um, just make you feel at home and a uh, happy place to be. For the energy and creativity that it brings not only to our life, but the lives of others. Meaningful conversations about biblical truths. We are closer. Feel real, I
1: love everything they've done in
0: this church. They've made changes in all of it. The growth and sense of community that we've really seen in all of our people that come each week to celebrate and worship and fellowship. Being open and willing to accept anyone at any time, no matter what their situation is. Yeah, I'm definitely thankful For being a part of this community, just hanging out with so many people that uh, think God is important in their lives, and it's just good to be around people like that. For the the wonderful changes that have happened here in North Canton, I'm so blessed by the body of Christ that's here. I'm really thankful that there is a welcoming community here in North Canton. There have been a lot of people who have started coming to North Canton over the last couple of years, and every time they are greeted by a welcoming community and I'm just really proud to be here by the church And at 3, 4, he's got a huge thumbs. <laughs> I got a I got, got all <laughs> of of believers that I like-minded and just love and fellowship. i getting to know people. I'm not that great with names, but it's been a pleasure getting to know people and uh, enjoy seeing them week the after week. And uh, I miss them when they're not here. That's for sure. All the friends I have here and all the family I have here. It's done wonders for turning me in in my spiritual community beliefs, bringing me back to to the church. It's an incredible experience. Thank you all. I'm thankful for getting to know people better and for friendships that uh, have developed over the years. Every time, every week, I'm, I'm more and more thankful for the people and the relationships that we're developing. Um, our pastor decided and Amber did so much for us. Thankful of my mom for all the work that she does for the church yeah. and just realize how strong she is. I'm thankful for having a dog. I'm thankful that I have a nice house to live in and that Jesus came and saved us. I'm very thankful for our recent change to. 5G technology in our house. I thank God for my health, I thank God for my family, I'm very thankful for my kids, and I'm very thankful for this church. I have health issues, and those are all under control, and thankful to God for that. And the other thing I'm thankful for is the Bible study we did, and we did the book, Winning the War in Your Mind. I'm Nicole Barhol, group, I look forward to Thursday nights at 6.30 every week. I am very thankful for North Kent Bible Church, especially this last year with the Thursday night Bible studies. I found that it's brought people closer together. We get to know each other and we enjoy each other's company more. Very thankful to be able to be here at North Kent and play the be part of the music program. The children, the older folks, the smiles, things like everybody Laughter about something. We're thankful for the youth retreat because we got to meet so many new kids from other churches. And because we're really fun, we got to make candy. I'm thankful this interview is over. <laughs> <laughs> and also top branch. Sure. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> So as you guys have seen, there's... A lot to be thankful for. That video will be available. That's the short version, if you believe it or not. Uh, all together, you guys talked like 25 minutes. So. Uh, we'll put that on our uh, Facebook members page. We'll put the long version on there too so you guys can go back and watch. And thank you guys so much for sharing. Let's close uh, with the song this morning.